One, one of the things that I love is music. I love music. I always have. I love to listen to songs on the radio. I love live music. This is the way you can feel it. But, but God has blessed me with this amazing ability to not be able to play music at all. I mean, I, I have no musical ability. I can't play an instrument. I can't sing on key. I, I, my teacher in elementary school, my music teacher, Mrs. Simons, I still remember her so well because she was always going, shh, not so loud. And, and so that, that's, I just have, I don't have that musical ability, but I appreciate music so much. And just watching the band up here, I'm, I'm always amazed at how all these different instruments play. We've got drums, and we've got keyboards, we've got guitars, and sometimes there's all kinds of stuff up here, and they're all playing the same song. I don't even know how that works, but, but they're all playing the same song, and it's so powerful. When it all comes together, and they're all playing the right notes, and it's this powerful experience, especially wor- worship music. But it's amazing if you take one person and take them away, it's still good music, right? But you just take a little bit of energy away, and you take someone else away, and it, it's still music, it's still a good song, but you take a little bit of power, a little bit of energy. And so when you look at it as a whole, there's all this power, all this energy that comes from everyone playing the same song, at the same rhythm, and the, the same harmony, all those things that make worship music this powerful thing that you can feel. And, and when, I, when I think of that, I think of that's the way the church is, Right? We, we are individuals all doing different things, but there is power in unity when we're all working together for the same purpose. And, and that's where Paul goes today in Romans chapter 12. Uh, last week, we talked about Romans 12, 2. And it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we talked about the, the, this idea that you are transformed into something different. You don't conform anymore, but you're transformed into something different. And, and how? Well, by the renewing of your mind. And then you get this amazing reward that you get to know the will of God. In other words, you get to know what God wants you to be doing. And it ties in perfectly what we're talking about today. And Paul goes into the church and us as individuals and the church as a whole, what it should look like. Because if you remember the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul gives us a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology, talks about grace and salvation and Jews and Gentiles. And then in chapter 12, it's like, okay, if you are going to follow the ways of Jesus, this is what your life should look like. And so today we're going we're gonna to dive into this idea of what we should look like as individuals and then what we should look like as a unit, as, as the church. And so here we are in Romans 12, 3 through 8. I'm going to read it to you. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, 
do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so here Paul starts this whole thing off with, according to the grace that is given me. And that's really a pretty big thing in the church. But Paul's saying, hey, listen, I was given this grace by Jesus. Because you remember last week we talked about Paul was a murderer, literally. He was a guy who was killing Christians, turning into a guy that is this passionate follower of the ways of Jesus. And now he's planting churches and doing all these things. Why? Because of the grace of Jesus. And basically what Paul is saying here, by the grace that's given to us, we are all the same. Not, no, not one person is here and the other person's here. We, we are all given the same grace. We're all on equal footing. We can't look down our noses at someone and think, oh, man, they're not, they're not holding up their end of the bargain. They're not living the right way. You've got to go, oh, man, but think of the grace that I was given, right? And that's what should keep us on uneven footing. And so we don't think more, more highly of ourselves than we ought. And that's what he says. And, you know, unfortunately, that happens in the church, doesn't it? Sometimes we've been Christians a long time, and we kind of start to feel kind of high and mighty. And if I go way back many years ago, I was coaching with my dad. My dad coached high school football for 40 years. And towards the end of his career, he had, he had this guy on his team. His name was Tremaine, and Tremaine was one of the best athletes he ever coached. And you think about that. After 40 years, you have a guy that's that good. And, and Tremaine came to the team as a, as a sophomore, and he was a star. I mean, as a sophomore, he was the best player in the team. He was incredible, but he was, he was a sophomore. He was still pretty humble, and as a junior, he had an amazing year, and, and the team kept getting a little bit better, and by the time he was a senior, there was these huge expectations on that team. They had a good team, and they had Tremaine. I mean, and Tremaine was amazing, and so during that summer, he actually signed with a Division I college, University of Kansas. He was that good. They didn't even want to wait for a senior year. They were signing him. They wanted him that bad, and he comes out his senior year. We have all these expectations, and that year was the worst year my dad had in 40 years of coaching. The, the team wasn't a team. The unity was destroyed because Tremaine thought that he was better than everyone else. Now, he, he was. <laughs> Physically, he was. He was an, an amazing athlete. But a team can't work that way. If one person thinks they're better, it, it destroys the unity. He even felt like the coaches weren't as good as him. And so it literally destroyed the unity of the team and led to the worst season my dad had all these years. And he still talks about that year and what a shocking thing it was and the example of unity. Now, now in the church, quite often we have complaints, don't we? I, I hear them. We have complaints from people that show up to church or maybe they went to another church and they'll tell me, man, I went in there and I just didn't feel like I fit. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I belonged in there. I, I, I felt like people were looking down their noses at me. I mean, it, this idea of judgment, right? When we judge other people, people feel that, don't they? And, and if we think we're better than we really are, if we don't look at grace, oh, yeah, I'm only here because of grace. I only have this salvation because of grace. Same thing for them. They may be brand new follower, but they are here because the grace of God. And if we start to think of ourselves better, we start to judge people. And when you judge people, it hurts people, but it also hurts the church as a whole. Because there is power in unity. 
And listen again to what Paul says. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the other members. So in other words, there is unity in the church. That's what Paul's talking about. We're all different. We're all unique. We all have different gifts. But we are one, one powerful unit. And the truth is, in the church, we should be for each other, shouldn't we? I mean, we should love each other. We should high-five each other. We should, we should always be for each other. You remember a few weeks ago, I, I told you the illustration about these scientists that, that studied the NBA teams in preseason? And they watched the NBA teams to see who gave the most high fives, the most fist bumps, patted their, their other players on the bottom, and, and basically saying, hey, they're for each other. And, and they were able to predict the teams in the finals of the NBA by how many high fives they gave them preseason. In other words, these teams were for each other. They were high-fiving each other. They liked each other. They lifted each other up. And man, in the church, shouldn't we be that and more? Man, we should be high-fiving each other. We should be fist-bumping each other. Now, maybe not patting each other in the butt. That's a little too far. But it'd be a little awkward on Sunday morning. But, but we should be absolutely for each other. And, and what's amazing to me is that when, when you love, when somebody feels loved, when they feel appreciated, when they feel wanted, when, when they feel believed in, they want to be there. They want to come to church, don't they? I mean, if you go to a church and they love you and appreciate you and believe in you, man, you're going to come back. That's what turns the church into a magnet, right? Because, man, all of a sudden you are appreciated, you are believed in, and people like you, they love you. And, and the church, more than any other place, should have a bond like nothing else because we have the bond of Jesus we have the bond of grace we have the bond of love that God loves us so much and that love should be spilling out of us and then on top of all that to me the most amazing thing is the power of the spirit we have the gift of the spirit and that spirit binds us together and it makes us powerful uh, listen to the first church in acts it talks about the very first church. And I just want to read to you, it's Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I want you to hear that again. Enjoying the favor of all the people. That's not just the people in the church. That's the people outside the church. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What, what an amazing thing. You read that and it's like, wow. Now, now we, first we have to acknowledge it's 2,000 years ago. It's a different culture. We live in a very different culture today. But when I look at this, I go, wow, they celebrated Jesus as one. I mean, they celebrated together. I mean, they were every day. They, were they spent time together. They ate together. They hung out together. They helped each other. 
If someone needed help, man, they were there to help each other. These people loved each other, and they loved each other so well that those outside the church literally looked at them and said, I don't know what's wrong with you guys, but I like you. <laughs> There's something good happening there. They enjoyed the favor of everybody. I mean, that's a pretty powerful thing for a church. And, and then because of that, they were literally a magnet. I mean, people were coming daily. People were finding Jesus and following Jesus daily because of the way they lived their lives, because there is power in unity. And now, this judgmental thing we talk about, sometimes it's in the church, right? And, and, and here's the, the truth. When new people come into the church, it makes it awkward. Because whether we believe it or not, we are a social group, right? We socialize on the patio. We socialize in here. When we have greeting time, I can hardly get you guys to sit down and be quiet because you keep talking to you. We're very social, and that's great. And so in any social circle, when someone new comes in, you're like, oh, well, that's not someone I knew last week. I don't know them. I don't understand them. And, and maybe they're a little bit different, or they talk different, or they, they don't wear a cool T-shirt, you know? And, and so, so you're, it, it kind of disrupts things. But really, in the church, that is going to happen. If you want to grow as a church, new people are going to come in. But we can't allow it to disrupt the unity of the church. When they come in, we've got to, got to cheer for them. We gotta lift them up. We gotta love them. We gotta help them. We gotta make them feel accepted. We gotta make them feel loved and believed in. And then the unity continues. That's exactly what the early church was doing. The unity was not disrupted by new people coming in. And man, I've had several conversations with people over my years of being a pastor, and I've I've shared this one before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but I got invited to breakfast with a guy. And we go to breakfast, and he buys my breakfast, and he begins to tell me about these two people at church that he really struggles with. And he proceeds to tell me, these are not the type of people we want at our church. Now, I almost responded, you're not the type of people I want at my church. But I refrained, and I simply said, I will never tell anyone that, because I love these people. And these people are our church. Because the church should be one. And, and, and the, the, there are churches out there that it's tough to fit into. I, I, I feel like our church is different. I, I love our church, and I know I'm the pastor, so I say that stuff. But I love our church. But we're not perfect. And I want this church to be different than every other church. I want this church to be the best church. I want us to be so unified that the power of God just over. And overwhelms our community. Paul goes on in verses 6 through 8, and he begins to talk about us personally. Okay, here's the unit of the church. Now, what are you going to do in this unit? What, what, what instrument are you going to play? And so here's what, what he says. He says, we all have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So 
Paul's saying, hey, you've got all these different gifts, man, and if you've got one, use it, okay? Now, there are some things in the church I believe we all have to participate in. Like one of them, we need you to come, right? And Sunday morning, if, if we didn't all come on Sunday morning, it wouldn't be half as much fun worshiping together, and I'd preach to nobody. So we need you here, and, and we need you to give. We need everyone to, to share in the giving because that allows the church to be the church. And so we've got these things, and also inviting people, hey, just come to my church, come to my church. If we're all participating in that church, in those things, man, it's going to make a huge difference in our church. But then there's things that are above and beyond those things that are kind of expected of you, that you go, man, that's kind of my thing. That's, that's kind of my thing. And in our church, we have Anna, and we have Aaron, we have Lisa, we have Kale, and we have myself. And we're, we're paid staff, but we can't do everything. And if we tried to, it wouldn't be done very well. So we need everybody in the church. And so here's what Paul is saying. He says, do what you're good at. And do it more enthusiastically and more often and better than anyone else. I mean, think about that. What's your thing? Well, then do it. And do it really well. I mean, do it with passion. And do it often. And do it... Well, figure out how to do it better than anybody else does it. You just look at this list, and I believe Paul's list is just examples. There's so many different things that we can go, that's mine. That's mine. The list is prophesying, which is, which is preaching, standing up and sharing God's word, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. And again, there's so many other things. And, and here's the thing about church. There's stats all over about church. You can find out all kinds of stuff. People are always doing studies. But every church averages between 20% and 35% of their regular attendees doing something, volunteering in some way. 20 to 35% of everyone that comes Sunday morning isn't that many. And, and, and so what happens is you have a small percentage of people doing multiple things. And my question is, what if everybody... Like 90 to 100% of the people did one thing. And they did it really, really well. And they did it with passion. And they did it with love. Why? Because that's their thing. That's what God told them to do. You remember when you're transformed, like we talked about last week? Then you know the will of God. And when you know the will of God, you know what you're going to do. And if you know your one thing and you do it, oh, wow. I'm just saying our church would flourish. And there are, there's people in our church, our church is amazing. It, the homeless ministry that we have on Monday night, we had 10 people that went out in the streets of Oceanside and fed like 50 people, and we shared the love of Jesus with people that are way less fortunate than we are. But there's one person that said, I want to head that up. I want that to be my thing. And I'm like, yes, that's what we need. Well, we have one person in our church that every Saturday after they work all week, they come here to the church with their own tools and their own stuff that they buy, and they fix stuff at the church. That's their one thing. We have one person, every time I start a new ministry, I can almost guarantee they'll show up to check. So I want this thing to get off the ground because it's their one thing. We have amazing people here. But we still are 20 to 35%. Imagine if we all had one thing, the power of that. This week, I had listened to a podcast, and it's a guy I listen to quite often, and he's this big, square-headed 
big strong guy and he's made millions of dollars and he will tell you that he's made millions of dollars over and over. So you got to get past that. But, but I'm listening to his podcast and it's this encouraging to talk about the power of one thing. It's like, wait, I'm talking about this week. I need to listen to this. And so I start listening to this guy. And by the time I get home, I'm literally, you're going to be shocked, but I was crying. I was bawling. And part of it was about his dad. His dad was really sick, and my dad's got cancer, and so that, that kind of got the emotions going. But he tells this, his own story and the story of his relationship with his dad. And the guy's name's Ed Milet, and his dad was an alcoholic, a severe alcoholic. And so as early as five years old, he has these memories of his dad coming home and he said, I could tell by the way he opened the door. If he couldn't quite get the key in the door, I knew he was drunk. And, and Ed's the oldest, and he's got two, two little sisters. And as soon as he could tell that his dad was drunk, he would round up his sisters and get them upstairs and get them out of the way. And that's how he was raised. He was always trying to protect the family from his dad. And so from... Five years old to 15 years old, he's got all these memories of his drunk dad. And then when he's 15 years old, he's, his dad is driving him to school. And he said the whole way to school, his dad's just crying and bawling. He goes, my dad doesn't cry. I've never seen my dad cry. And here he is, he's just crying the whole way to school. And we get to school and he says, the dad says, Ed, when you get home today, I won't be there. He goes, where are you going to go? He goes, well... I'm going to go to rehab. He goes, one more time, because he'd tried it a bunch of times. So one more time, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to quit drinking. And so he goes to rehab. For a few weeks, he doesn't see him. He comes home, and Ed sees his dad, and he's sober for the first time in a long time. And he asks his dad, how long is it going to last, Dad? Seriously, is this going to last? And his dad says, one more day, one more day. And so for the next 35 years of his life, it's one more day. And he was sober for all 35 years. But the impact that made on Ed and, and the difference it made in his life, so all of a sudden he had his dad back and his dad was a good dad. And his dad was doing the right things. <laughs> and then his dad gets sick. And his dad's literally dying from cancer. And every day, Ed's going to see him in the hospital. And, and they've got this amazing relationship at this point in their lives. And, and then one day, he knows that his dad's going to die. His dad literally called him and said, listen, I need you to come home and get me. And I need you to take me home. Because I don't want to die in the hospital. I want to die in my own home. And so Ed comes and gets him. And he takes him home. And there at home, he, he dies. But Ed's dad always talked about this guy, this one guy that kept going to him and saying, you need to get sober. You're just hurting yourself. You're hurting your family. And Ed's dad would ignore him and ignore him and ignore him. And finally, this one guy got through to him. And that, that was the time that he said, Ed, I'm going to go to this rehab one more time. And it changed him. And you think about the power of that one man that did the one thing for Ed's dad. <laughs> Ed 
Dad dies, and the next day his mom calls and says, hey, can you help me start collecting stuff out of his room? And Ed goes up to his dad's room and his bedside table. He's got his Bible, and he said there's index cards all over the bedside table, and there's, there's hundreds of them shoved in his Bible. And he starts to look at these index cards, and every index card has a name and a phone number. And he begins to realize that every name on those cards was a man that needed to get sober. And Ed's dad, for 35 years, said, that's my thing. And he called them every day, every week, every month. He called some more often than others. He encouraged them. He loved them. He patted them on the back. It was his one thing. And as Ed collected these cards, there was over a thousand cards. You go back to the one guy that got Ed's father to go to rehab. That was one thing that turned into thousands of things. When we do one thing really, really well, the one thing that God says, hey, that's what I'm calling you to do. And you go, you know what? I'm going to do that so well. I'm going to do that so passionately. You will change the lives of thousands of people. That's the way the community, the church works. Because it's all done in unity. We all have that one thing. And if we all do it just like this band all of a sudden, it's powerful, and it's beautiful, and it's life-changing. Somewhere close to you, there's a blue card. And I'm just going to ask you to take that blue card home with you. Uh, because on that blue card, it has some questions. It has the verse. And then it's just ask the question, what's your one thing? What is it? I don't expect you to answer that today. I don't expect you to shout it out. Some of you know. But I want you to take that home, and I want you, what is that one thing? And then I want you to make a plan. How can I do that one thing more enthusiastically, better, and more often than anybody else? And the last question is, how can I help Lost Floors Church to radiate unity? Honestly, there's things that happen in the church, and, and unity gets messed up. And, and for some of us, to help us radiate unity, we might need to go to some people and go, man, I'm really sorry. I, I'm, I'm sorry for the way I treated you, and, and you need to mend a relationship. For, for others, it might be, man, I, I avoid new people like the plague. I don't like them, whatever. Maybe you just need to walk up and say, hi, I'm glad you're here. Whatever it is, how can you help Lost Floors Church radiate unity? What I want you to do is just hold on to that blue card. I want you in your own mind, between you and God, to be thinking about your things. And I'm going to read the verses that we talked about today. And as I, as I read them, I want you to close your eyes and just listen. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly than you ought of yourself. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, 
so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. More than any other organization on earth, we should radiate unity. And we should cheer for each other. We should pray for each other. We should high-five each other. Let me just pray for us. Lord, I just pray that you would meet each of us right where we are. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us what our thing is. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the excitement, give us the power to do our thing, to glorify you, to unify the church. And I pray that as we do that, Lord, you would make this church, Lost Floors Church, so We pray for your power. We pray for the unity that comes from your spirit just to come over this place. And we ask that we would radiate your love, radiate your grace, and radiate your unity. We love you and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.